0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Elmtown episode 33. Today, I'm here with Kevin Yank. You want to say hi, Kevin? Hi. Kevin's been on a few episodes before, so his voice should be familiar to you. First off, we've got our lovely sponsors, Day One, the company I work for, which is a beautiful journaling and life archiving app for Mac and iOS. Next, we've got Daily Drip, which makes keeping up to date on programming skills easy. Daily Drip will save you a ton of time by providing quality lessons and resources for you right off the bat. Some topics include Elixir, Crystal, React Native, Go, HTML, and of course, Elm, learn faster and more efficiently with Daily Drip and be a better developer. Every weekday, you'll get a short video, about five minutes or so, delivered to your inbox. Sign up at DailyDrip.com using the coupon code ElmTown2018, that's ElmTown-2018, and you'll get a 14-day free trial. Last but not least, we have our sponsor, Ellie, which is the Elm Live editor, and they support our bandwidth. Ellie is a wonderful tool that has been contributed to the community by community members, and we are so grateful to them for providing the tool and for supporting our podcast. Next, for in announcements, I'm helping to organize a conference. It's called the Framework Summit, and it's going to be held in Park City, Utah, in the USA from the October 2nd to October 3rd. We have finished the talk selection process. I don't know if speakers have been notified yet, but um, we did have an open call for papers and we did get some pretty awesome submissions. The purpose of the Framework Summit is gonna be that attendees will get the opportunity to learn a lot about, in a constructive way, about some of the main different approaches to front-end development in these, Modern days, and be able to make an educated decision about what's going to be the best fit for their team. Uh, Richard Feldman will be there representing Elm and uh, giving talks, and there for conversation. And as well, will there? There will be there. My English is all out of order. And as well, there will be other members from. Uh, other communities representing the tools that they use. So if you want to learn more about front-end development in general and figure out what tools are best for you, then please consider the Framework Summit. Um, that can be found at FrameworkSummit.com, but there will be a link in the show notes too. Big that thanks That
1: sounds to... – uh, if you don't mind my saying, um, yeah, Murphy, great. that great. sounds like a really valuable event. I know as someone who hires a lot of front-end engineers, one of the things we look for in engineers is people who can – uh, make choices about their tools beyond just like what am I already comfortable with, and so exposing yourself to to other other options is is one great way to build your value as a as a as a frontender in the industry.
0: Totally agree, and I think one of the reasons we put it on too is because we understand that there are many good ideas in the front end development space, and some will fit people's needs and. Uh, wants and style better than others. And, uh, I, we've, people have joked before about like a, a framework throwdown where the <laughs> frameworks come together and they fight for who's best kind of thing. And I think that's kind of a pretty, a really destructive attitude because, um, I don't think there needs to be a showdown because these are all good tools, um, mm-hmm. bat, bad in some ways and good in other ways, depending on what your what the goal is that you're trying to achieve. And so, um, yeah, I'm glad to be part of fostering a space where people can come and see the value in each other's work, uh, and and we're hoping to kind of reduce the the fear of missing out, because I feel like, a, for especially for a lot of new engineers, the process of picking a tool is driven a lot by this fear of, like, what if I pick the wrong thing, and I'm learning the thing that nobody else is, and, like, I don't want to be the person stuck out in the rain when everyone else is having a party inside with tool X, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. Um, So maybe by doing this, this will give conference attendees a concept of the people around the tools as well. So that, you know, if if it turns out that they have an affinity for view or for Elm or or whatever it be that they um, can find other people who are also using that and realize that it's it's really a, a choice based on what they need and not so much shouldn't be a choice based on a fear factor kind of thing. Sweet. Or a hype factor even. <laughs> so thanks for cutting me, up, cutting me off and adding that <laughs> comment. I appreciate it. <laughs> now I'll go Thank, big thanks to Joel Clermont and the Milwaukee Functional Programming User Group for sponsoring our recording tool. Thanks, Joel. We really appreciate it. Now let's get into the meat of the show. So Kevin is on here with me today because I have a very special announcement. Everybody, Kevin, is going to be your new host from this point forward.
1: Wow. That's Murphy, I didn't quite believe it until you just said it.
0: <laughs> uh, that's a big announcement. And so let's talk a little bit about why that is Um First of all, Kevin, I I came to the point recently where I, I felt like I needed to hand over Elmtown for various reasons. And we'll talk about some of those reasons in a minute. But yeah. I thought about you right away because you've been on the show multiple times in the past. I really think you have a good podcasting presence. I think you understand it well. I like the way that you talk and, and the way that you structure your thoughts. I think it's good for listeners. Um, I think you have a good way of presenting yourself and your thoughts that's you flatter me sir here the funny thing is i'm <laughs> saying that and like, i want to say i want to say right of off the bat
1: here <laughs> there is no bigger fan of the current version of the elmtown podcast than me just like many of our listeners i have listened to every episode and i have my favorites that i recommend to other people on a regular basis um I, I, if there is any fear out there that I'm I'm about to destroy what you like about Elmtown, trust me, I'm going to change as little as possible. Good. Of course, <laughs> I mean, I have my own style that I hope you'll grow to know and love, but um, yeah, I'll miss Murphy just as much as everyone.
0: And I'll for sure say that... Uh that I think you're more experienced for sure than I am with this stuff too. you have considering your background. So I, I think it's actually going into better hands than my own. Um, so we'll hopefully see some good improvements upon what already exists. No pressure, no pressure. Um, <laughs> And uh, and if you listener is if this is the first time you're tuning in or and you haven't heard the episode where we talked to Kevin about his background that's a really neat episode too so I recommend uh, going back and listening to that because Kevin's got a fantastic uh, there's a word that just escaped me uh, pedigree a, a fantastic pedigree to support <laughs> to support him uh, in this role so um, I really really appreciate it Kevin and I feel very excited to be handing this over to you.
1: I'm really excited too. I think uh, I think it's an exciting time for for Elm at the moment, and um, I, I can't wait to to ride the wave of what comes next with everyone who'll be listening.
0: So let's talk for a second about why
1: why I'm
0: handing this over. And um, yeah, I think yeah,
1: I'm the host now. So tell me, yeah, Murphy, why why are you leaving this wildly successful podcast behind you?
0: Well, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one reason is that I think that I've uh, there, there are so many awesome opportunities to grab in life, and I always want to say yes to all of them. Um, but I found well, we just heard
1: you—you're organizing a conference. That's a <laughs> that's a big start.
0: <laughs> I can't say that I'm organizing the conference. Uh, I could say that I've helped a, a bit because yep. the people who are really organizing it, I've just advised and sat in on meetings. Like I, I don't think I've done more than a few hours of, uh, or, or more than like you know. 20 minutes total of actual work on the conference. So don't credit me for it, (laughs) Um, but I will associate myself with it. But there, there has come, I've come to kind of a point where I've needed to learn to say no to some opportunities or some projects in order to maintain my sanity. Um, I think, uh, it's like, I've got two kids under four and a third on the way. And I am working at a startup, which consumes many hours and, and a lot of energy and attention. Um, I've mentioned in the podcast before that I had started a master's degree, which was really neat. But I I actually ended up um, having to – not having to, but deciding to stop that for various reasons. And that could be a different conversation another time if people are interested. But Mm. um, that's – like a lot of this comes with – I like I want inside of myself to always say yes to awesome opportunities and I'm learning to cut some of them down so that I can give more time and attention to the the few that I um, need to put at the top and family for me is always at the top so I need to make sure that my family is there first and that then my other projects uh, get the priority that they need once one's family is taken care of too. So, so that's a part of it. If I had infinite time, I would love to continue to be a part of this. But the next part we're going to talk about, or the next reason, ties in with something that Evan, who is the creator of Elm, has iterated over and over again, which is this idea that tools are tools. Um, and let's let's talk about that for a second because sure. I've I've heard people say on the social on the internets like or oh, are, are you an elm programmer or like let's come up with a name for elm programmers and let's call them elmers or elmos and uh that that fits that makes sense because this has been a habit that we've gotten into as programmers you say like oh i'm a ruby developer or oh i'm a JavaScripter, or oh i write um go or you know people people, people want to form them. tribes Yeah. Yes. And they want, and you want to like, it's kind of like building your identity around Mm. a sports team to some degree. It's like you want to pick something that is neat and that you like and that's successful and kind of build your identity around it. That's kind of the, uh, the inclination. Right. But I I don't think that's healthy um, either. I mean, if you imagine a construction worker or or somebody saying like, Oh, I, I'm, I only use this one brand of hammer. Like I'm a, (laughs) I'm a Markle guy or or something like that. That seems kind of silly because – there, you know, there are lots of people who
1: make hammers that are good and things, and so uh, I completely Evans... agree with you. I, I, and I, for that matter, I don't think it's healthy for Elm either. At the at the point where Elm is right now, where it's just it's this new language, this new platform. What Elm needs to succeed is to have a, a wide open, welcoming relationship with people who have never heard of it before. To to create this identity of we are the Elmos and you are not. Is not helpful to that, yes, definitely, totally agree,
0: mm. and so uh it, it specifically, there was a reddit thread, I think it was where someone was talking about that, and Evan took the time to get on and say I, and push back against that idea and say you're not an Elmer or an Elmo, you are a software engineer who's using elm, and um, I thought it was kind of a waste of time at first i'm sorry, Evan, if you're listening uh, but once that idea sunk and I realized how profound that was because I've seen, I I have friends who have been active in communities around certain frameworks and they've then had a shift of tooling. And once that happened, there was this big social fallout and like a lot of venom and just a lot of really unnecessary drama. Hmm. Um, because it was like people had built identities around that community and stuff um, and uh, and they felt like it was a slight to them when when this person did a tooling shift and um, and I don't think that's good for the community at all so uh and so that sunk into me that when Evan said, "Oh, you're just a programmer who's using elm i was like wow that's that's very true we're just all software engineers and what the thing that should be mattering most to us is that we're getting our our job's done and that we're building our products with in the best ways that we can. And Evan's object is to build a tool that is the best way to build your product. Um, so what does
1: this have to do with you leaving the podcast?
0: Yeah, so so the thing that this has to do with me leaving the podcast is that I've been spending a lot of time with other with other tools recently as well. So we've been spending a whole lot of time at work using Reason. Um, on the server side, I was initially experimenting with reason as a way to write JavaScript and then using Elm as well. And then, uh, we experimented with it more, uh, we experimented with using reason react as well. And I, and I found that it really fit the way that I was working well and it fit our team and it fit our needs really well as well. So we've been doing a whole lot of
1: that and, uh, that's been taking up a whole lot of our time. The big Murphy Randall fans in the audience will know that you recently started a Reason podcast called Reason Town. That's
0: right. Yeah. And I did that when I was interested in like the, I was like, well, this is this interesting fledgling language that um, I'll use alongside Elm. And that was the plan. And that's what I did. And it, it just, it fits really well. It fits my needs, fits my style. And so that's what I've been using a lot of. Now, I've been afraid to say this on the podcast because I was afraid that when I said this, the listeners, or at least some of the listeners, would hear me saying, I'm leaving Elm because Elm's no good and reason's better. And I want you to stop if you thought that and back up <laughs> and listen to it again. Because <laughs> what I actually said was it fit, fit my style well, it fit our needs well, and it fit the team well. Um, I didn't say that Elm wasn't as good. And I didn't say that reason was better, et cetera. I I definitely feel like Elm is an amazing tool, an excellent tool. And I feel like reason is an amazing tool and an excellent tool. And reason has some, uh, definitely has some risks around it that um, are more risky than Elm, like where the reason community is actually quite a bit smaller than the Elm community. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't even believe (laughs) I. I I guess I'm a sucker for punishment when it comes to like <laughs> living on the bleeding edge. Um, but yeah. you like uh, an
1: underdog, don't you, Murphy? Oh yeah,
0: I guess so. I, I guess I'm like, hey, look, there's an underdog. Can I be that? underdog? What you're
1: saying is Elm is too successful.
0: Yeah, Elm's just made the big time. I need to move along. Guys.
1: <laughs> look, I so, want to back up what you were saying, uh, Murphy, because at Cult where I work, we have uh, we have done some experimental projects with Reason as well, and and um, if you if you happen to be watching the the Reason community, for example, you might have caught one of our engineers speaking at ReasonConf just uh just in the past uh, couple of months. Yes, um, I did. She, she gave she, a good talk, by the way. Yeah, I I, I uh, the the YouTube video was just recently published, and um I I was I was hanging out. So the the hour it came out, I I walled myself in a room and I watched it, and boy, she kicked but she, she, uh, she and job. I had a conversation when she was first preparing it, and she was trying to figure out what the technical aspect of her talk would be about, and not only did she nail that, but she added this whole other thing about cognitive psychology and how we learn new things, and it really blew me away. I, I'm, I'm going to put it in the show notes. Uh, it, it, do I have control over the show notes yet, Murray? You have
0: complete control over the show notes. Excellent. Yes.
1: So uh, I guess... What I was saying is that at Cultramp we we dabble with reason as well, and we see its benefits. In our case, the, the type of app we are building, the trade-offs that it requires, the things that it requires a language and an environment and its core libraries to be good at are really well covered with Elm. And so we are excited at continuing to invest in Elm. But if the nature of what we were building or the nature of the team changed in some dramatic way we might we might switch the other way and and elmtown might well be looking for a third host sometime down the line and i think that's healthy
0: i think it is too and i think that that's something that all listeners should remember like we we're not here to dedicate ourselves to the tools that we're using the tools are here at, for the purpose of the ser, or i'm sorry the tools are here to serve our making great products like that is our mission and goal as software engineers and uh and we should pick the best tools for the job and uh, it's, the, it's the job of the creator of the language to make it the best tool for the job, and Evan is certainly doing his best to do that. But he doesn't tie his identity to it either, as you can tell, because when people come along and uh, make these kind of identity or personal criticisms to Elm, his response is often, why don't you uh, go use the thing that works best for you right now and circle back later to see if, see if you like it better. Hmm. Um, and so uh, what I what I want people to hear when they hear me having said what I said right now is uh, not to say like, Oh, Murphy Randall is leaving the Elm community for the reason community kind of thing. I just want, I am not, uh, I'm just using a different tool right now. Um, And so I'm not making an exit from the community. I mean, I, I probably, I, I probably won't spend time on Slack for Elm if I'm not using Elm much, uh, but I'm always open to, to talk to people and help where I can. And, uh, and I'm I definitely recommend Elm as an amazing tool, as I do with Reason. And so I'm I'm just trying to find the best tool for the job uh, and for me. And so for just
1: one more question before we close off this topic. Yeah. If people if people love their Murphy Randall, where can they get their Murphy Randall fix?
0: they a great question. They can currently get their Murphy Randall fix at the reason town podcast. Yeah. But you know, tell me, this is something that I I'd be interested to know if listeners would be interested in this. Um, both of the podcasts that I've done so far have been centered around a specific language, but I have been in, interested in playing with the idea of starting a podcast about, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know here are other opportunities again, <laughs> but it, being a, Software engineer for a tech startup is a different job than being a software engineer for a large company where you're on the payroll and you're just, you know, doing your job. Mm. And uh, it comes with a unique set of challenges, especially when it comes to being flexible or just, you know, dealing with uh, lots of different kinds of challenges. And uh, I deal with those a lot in my job. So I was kind of playing with the idea of starting a podcast, not about a language, but about being an engineer at a tech startup. Um, and kind of trying to be transparent about the kind of problems that have to be solved when you are a self largely self-taught engineer with, you know, a lot of experience, but, um, not 10 years experience yet at a tech startup and and maybe helping people learn that so if you're interested in that kind of a podcast please shoot me an email at murphy randall at com. i'll put it in there in the That show sounds us. like
1: it's worth at least a mini series to me and i would i would be honored to be asked as as a guest on that podcast oh,
0: that would be great it, let's see if i can get the <laughs> time and attention for it <laughs> i i might be too busy actually running a startup to do, i'm calling or, your bluff doing the startup you uh, you know that's funny because as you started to laugh, I realized again that I was doing that (laughs) where I want to start it. I always want to say yes to those new, exciting, interesting projects. So before we let you go,
1: there was uh, was a topic that you wanted to drill into a bit more deeply uh, um, in Elm that you've talked about before.
0: Yes. Yeah. That topic is ports. ElmConf 2017, I went and I talked about ports. There's a talk called The Importance of Ports and I wanted to cover it on the podcast because I never covered it on the podcast. But the uh, reason I I gave the talk in 2017 is because I think it's, I think ports are a wildly misunderstood concept in Elm and, uh, with a few simple mental adjustments, they can get back in order. Sorry, go ahead and say what you were going to say, Kevin.
1: And, and we, uh, the Elm Town podcast has covered ports once before that you had, uh, you had Evan on to talk about the history of ports on episode 13. I, I just recently re-listened to it. It was a really good episode. Everything in it is still completely relevant today. And um, having watched that and your, your ElmConf talk, it felt to me like the two were linked, that it was, uh, it was around the same set of problems that you were looking to solve. Is that right?
0: Yes. In fact, you know what's kind of funny and embarrassing about podcasts is if you listen to all of Elmtown, you can hear me being stupid at the beginning and getting a little less stupid as time goes on. And we call that <laughs>
1: having the courage to be vulnerable. At I guess that I, I encourage it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's a little,
0: it's pretty embarrassing for me to listen to early episodes, so I just leave them out there and, and I try to like pretend they don't exist. But same Look, thing with Stack Overflow. I don't know I, if you have ever gone. <laughs>
1: i mean i'm a i've been I've been writing Elm for over a year now, nearly two years in fact and just listening to that episode again today, most of the questions you asked were questions that I was thinking as a listener even now
0: oh good okay well, so yeah, on that episode, I had all these questions for Evan about how ports work and then he he really enlightened me um and taught me how they should work and uh, I later gave him feedback that that's not really the understanding that the current documentation brings um and so that I think it's on the plans to really modify the docs and change those up but that's that's what spawned me into giving this um, talk at Elmconf was I wanted to give a talk that would be really useful to people, and i I thought that ports were wildly misunderstood so let's do you want to quickly go over what the talk said? Do you think
1: yeah, yeah, fill us in,
0: okay, well. Here's the the fallacy that I see happening all the time around ports, or I see happening all the time, is that uh, people, oh, f- oh, first, okay, if, if you're new to Elm, ports, a port is the name for the way that Elm interfaces with the outside world. And other languages might call that an FFI or a foreign function interface. The way Elm does it is through this mechanism called a port, and it's, it's not what you would expect, right? So, in a language like Reason, or in a lang- L- let's say, like let's say you're using Python, right? Um, and you want to write a library in C. Python gives you a way to call C functions from within Python. That's what a foreign function interface is. And many compiled JavaScript languages, like PureScript or like uh, like Reason, they offer a way to call JavaScript functions from within their language using an ffi but elms is a little different because there is no ffi there's no foreign function interface where you can reach out from elm and call a javascript function uh, per se what you can do is use elms built-in mechanism for communicating with javascript through ports where you communicate back and forth between javascript by sending messages uh, in each direction so the first, the first fallacy I see is that people want to use ports to wrap JavaScript libraries as if they are wrapping each function in the JavaScript library, like it's a foreign function interface. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I were going to use the moment library, people want to use ports to say, well, I'm, I'm going to wrap moment, and like there's this function in the moment library that like says new date or something like that or like get year right so they'll make a port that says get year and then you like send the call out to moment get year and you get the information back and that's just not how you're gonna you're it's, gonna have it's a, a natural progression if,
1: you, yeah. if you've if elm if elm if you need to do something that elm can't do for you and you've got a javascript library that can do it the natural question is, how do I invoke that piece of JavaScript? And the shortest answer to that is, use ports. And if you've never done it before, you go and you go to the docs and you say, okay, here's how I write a port. Um, I will write a port that will call my JavaScript function, and then you immediately ask, well, where do I get a return value?
0: Exactly right. And and then you realize that there's no return value because what happens is when you're sending a value into a port, what you do is you actually hand a value to a port and you get back a command to be run by the runtime. So it's asynchronous, right? Yeah, just like every other side effect. Like mm-hmm. using a port is a side effect. You and don't so,
1: actually you don't actually call a port in Elm. You create a command to tell the Elm runtime that you want it to call a port.
0: Precisely. Yeah. Yes. So like a port is a special function that when you hand values to it it gives you back a command. And yep. Um, and then an incoming port is a subscription, so it's using the normal old Elm runtime, and so that. But here's here's the interesting thing: is like, so once you start to realize that ports are asynchronous, then as a web developer, the next logical jump that I see people make, including myself, is to say, "Oh, well, if I if it's if it's asynchronous, then using a port must be like making an HTTP call, like." I expect to have this promise style mm-hmm. interface where mm-hmm. I call a port, I get back a promise and when it's done, I'll get the result. Right. And this is the problem is that the docs lead people into believing this because the docs in the interest of being simple, they use an example that says like uh, spell check this word. So there's a port where you can pass a word into the port and then it asynchronously does a spell check and it, in the incoming port, it passes back the spell-corrected version of the word, mm-hmm. um, which makes it appear that there's this request-response relationship mm-hmm. where you can send out a request on a port and then wait and get a response that corresponds to your request. But so
1: the, the the API in Elm for making HTTP requests looks pretty similar at first glance.
0: Yeah, because it also produces a command, right? Yep. Yeah, but the the uh, There is no such concept with ports currently because ports are very, they're very basic. And in the ElmConf talk, I introduced this idea that the Elm ports are loosely based on what's called the actor model. So this is a design pattern. The actor model is for distributed systems. And uh, that's the conceptual lines that get drawn around Elm are that Elm and JavaScript should kind of behave like a distributed system where elm and javascript are these separate worlds and they they talk like they don't need to uh worry about sharing memory or anything like that so so the actor model is a great solution to uh high concur- highly concurrent distributed systems and that's mm-hmm. javascript and elm fit well into that model so naturally the ports model follows the kind of communication model that these distributed concurrent systems use which is message passing that's the that's the most simple way to say it that uh, elm is an actor in this actor model which means it's it's its own entity and that javascript is another actor a different entity and that they pass messages back and forth and the nature of the
1: go ahead the engineer at Cultramp, uh, Marcos Matos, who first introduced Elm to us at this company, this in fact is his favorite thing about Elm. He says, like, unlike every other language that is trying to build a better JavaScript, um, he 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 appreciates that Elm treats JavaScript as a whole other world that you communicate with at a distance and thereby avoid all of the uncertainty uncertainty that comes with that world um and uh he actually gave a talk about the actor model at rubyconf australia 2017. it's it's told from a back-end perspective uh, the talks called actors in ruby why let elixir have all the fun but oh, nice. it does a really good job of explaining the model where it came from its history and why it's powerful today and um for him it is one of the biggest differences between elm and uh other languages that play in the same part of the stack and um, it is definitely a trade off, but he really values, especially for the type of app that we're building, the the upsides of that trade off.
0: So that is that is definitely uh, like I think some people might view it as oh no Elm stinks because it doesn't have easy FFI, but like you're saying, if you know the design of the of the of the interaction model and the reason it's designed that way you could see the great power that is mm. in it that, yep. that accompanies the inconvenience. So, um, so yeah, so these messages, that get sent back and forth currently. Um, and I say currently because as uh, the conversation I've heard around this is like, well, ports aren't necessarily done. Like they might change and mm-hmm. become more feature rich in the future. But currently it's very basic in that, uh, the, you can just send values out through a port and receive values. There's no the, the system doesn't do any automatic managing of saying, okay, you sent a, you sent a message out f- through the port and now I'm gonna bring a response in later. Like it's completely hands off. And here are the rules. You can send out one message, zero messages, or infinity messages. and you can receive one message, zero message, or infinity messages. Mm -hmm. And they are never connected with one another by the system. Like that's This is where I see people get hung up the most. And this is the most important idea to get into your mind, that if I'm going to talk with JavaScript, I'm going to send messages out to JavaScript, but there's nothing that's going to respond to me. I'm going to just have a different place where I get messages in. So it's nice to think about this, uh, to kind of model it after maybe you're like, the international mail system, like straight, like the snail mail system, right? Where you have a mailbox and you have a letter and you write someone's address on it and you send that letter out and you write a return address on your letter. Elm is very much the same way because if you want a response to the request that you're sending out to JavaScript, you need to write your return address in the data. Mm. So like, let's say now that we wanted to do something like uh what's a good example here i should have thought about this earlier (laughs) but let's say okay going back to that spell check example right maybe a more complete representation of the spell check example would be that you want to ask for a spell check for a specific word well then maybe what you do is have a request id like so maybe when the app starts up you have an uh, an id counter for Mm -hmm. your port requests and you started at zero or whatever. And so then you're going to make a request through your port. So instead of just having a port for spell checking a word, y- you might still do that, but in your body, you wouldn't just send in the word you'd send in this payload that says like, I want you to spell check a word. My, my request ID is one and my word is like funk, you know, like funky spelled yeah. with an X or something. And so you send it out and then, uh, there's no like waiting for the request to come back at that point when you send the value out for this like the reason your application does this is that like what if javascript got destroyed by uh space aliens you know like <laughs> you never know if that message is going to come back because javascript makes no guarantees like your your message could go out and you maybe you never implemented that method at all Elm has no control over that. So,
1: Or maybe you're writing a test suite for your app and you need to test that the message goes out without having to mock something that responds to it.
0: Yep, that's, there you go. That's a, that's a better, <laughs> that's a more practical example. Hmm. But so what you do then is uh, you don't wait for a response. You just say, I sent off the request and then the application should be in a valid state. And maybe, maybe what you do is maybe that's fine. Maybe you like put up a loading bar or something anyway and it just spins until... Until you do get a value in. But you have a different incoming port that has like spell check response com- coming in. And when yep. that spell check response comes in, you'd have a request ID on it. And you'd find that request ID of one. And you'd be like, oh, OK, I now recognize that this correctly spelled word should replace that word that I initially asked for a fix on with the ID of one. Mm-hmm. So, so you got to do some extra work with your ports if you're going to correlate requests and responses.
1: Yeah, I mean, you used the term uh, "basic" before, but um, I think I think of it as a, a primitive. And as a programmer, what that means to me is this: is this really powerful and yet um, not batteries included sort of feature that can be used for many different things. It's really flexible. But if you want to make a port do something to, to implement a, a piece of application functionality, you're going to have to write a lot of the code yourself. But I'm really thankful that Elm um, gives us such a low-level tool that lets us do pretty much anything we want. As uh, And the question is just, Is this is the problem you're trying to solve shaped like the actor model? If so, you'll have a great time if not you you may feel like it's not the best tool for the thing that you're trying to do definitely
0: build. and like some of the things that people might run into that aren't shaped like the actor model are things like getting a random id you know like if you want the convenience of just saying i'm just going to make a function call and generate a random id and i just don't care that it's impure you're going to have to do yeah. some some hacking and native code and that's not going to be easy to do. So, because that's Elm's designed to not do that, you know, so like just use the, the random things that people that, that have already been set up for, for you, you know, <laughs> like that, that kind of thing.
1: At, at Caltramp, the problem we had recently that was not shaped like that was we wanted to do some animated data visualizations for which the D3 JavaScript library is, is like the perfect tool but if you if you learn D3 you you notice that its API is not at all functional no. it is a it is procedural to the bone and um and and people over the years have suggested wrapping D3 in ports and i don't think that would be a great time for anyone for now what uh, the parts of our app that do that stuff are still written in react and going forward, we 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 might expect to wrap those parts of our app in web components so that D3 and maybe React and, and whatever, whatever other tools are great at solving those problems can live in a little bubble uh, in a rectangle in the page, do their thing, and Elm can render them as a custom element.
0: Absolutely. That's exactly the workaround that I would have recommended was putting them in a web component and then...
1: In your case uh uh with the 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 app that you talked about in your conference talk it uh it was like uh the the database and the connection with the outside world or the the server that um that you were talking about so putting it in a a a web component doesn't make sense right yeah so you went out about it a different way So
0: the the nature of the stuff that I needed to do was treating the browser's local storage as a database, which happens to be mm. a pretty fantastic you know, use for ports because the only thing I'm missing is the request-response model, but as far as the async stuff goes, it's great. So um, so here's a mistake that I made in my talk that I wish I could go back and, and fix. When, when I gave the talk, I talked about these different problems I ran into, um, but then I, I didn't clearly separate... The, I presented two ideas for working and making ports better, for working with ports and making them better. And I didn't clearly separate the concept of like, first you have to understand ports. And first you have mm-hmm. to understand like that you need to provide valuable data through ports from the next concept, which is like here's a structured pattern for how you might use a port. So I, I conflated those two things and I think it ended up being confusing. Um, and I'm going to give credit to Derpbot. On Reddit for pointing that out uh, in the Reddit comments, that was helpful. It was good criticism, and I, I appreciate that being explained explicitly. So,
1: so how how would you separate those two
0: concepts? Yeah. Okay. So, so the other thing I did, uh, the other thing that I suggested, okay. which since I haven't explained the second concept yet, here it comes. The other thing I recommended was w- it, for your whole Elm app, just use one port pair just use one incoming port and one outgoing port. Uh, And so this is also something that I wish I had caveated because the reason I said that was send rich data through one port instead of trying to send piecemeal data through lots of little ports. Um, Uh, But since then people have contacted me and said like, I really liked your talk, but like I've been trying to like jam all my data into one port and I don't know. Like, is it okay to not use just one port? And I'm like, oh, I feel silly. <laughs> you should use the number of ports that make sense for the data that you're sending through them. Like, in the case that yeah. they'd be like, well, I'm, I'm trying to just use one port, but I have like, you know, this whole section of work I'm trying to get done and then this other section and then this other section and I'm jamming them into one port. And I, and so what I would have said instead is like, well, okay, just like make port divisions where it makes sense. And then the kind Mm -hmm. of data that you'd send through a port, I introduced this pattern that I called the outside info pattern. And the idea was basically that you just like make a data type, an algebraic data type, a type union that describes all the different actions that you can take in JavaScript land, like, uh, Oh, get fetch user or like set username or, you know, whatever things that I want to do with a database, instead of wrapping mm. the database library in ports, I make this declarative language where I describe the kinds of things that Elm can ask JavaScript to do.
1: You're designing an API exactly. for, for like this message passing sort of exactly model right. and so is it like one port per api yeah, maybe that's it
0: um and, and i think that there's not really a technical benefit either way here i think this is mostly conceptual where these lines get drawn so like if it's mm. hard if you keep getting confused because you're trying to put too many concepts into one port then don't do that just make yeah. new ports where the new concepts make sense so like maybe what i would do is if i have like one database for user management Uh, And then an entirely separate thing for like getting stock information, I I would have two different ports and have one be like, this is my port for doing user management and this is my port for stock information. Um, But Mm. the reason I made that extreme recommendation of one port was I was trying to break people away from the idea of I need a request response pair port for every function in the library that I want to wrap. And I I was Mm. just trying to say don't wrap libraries make an API have just one port and send your API messages through the through that one port. So yeah. you don't don't have one port. Have as many ports as makes as is comfortable and makes sense, but um I still like this idea of having having a declarative API that uh, that uh describes structure to your messages that you can send through these ports and it comes with the extra work of like decode, encoding and decoding messages as you're sending them out or bringing them in. But the nice thing is, as you're decoding messages, when they come back in, you can actually, you know, log, if you get a message that you didn't expect and you can, you can Mm -hmm. log that and, and then decide what to do in your L map with messages that you didn't expect. I, I probably just ignore them, but, um, that's an interesting way to like handle the runtime case of, wow, JavaScript gave me something that I don't understand.
1: Yeah, and I mean JSON decoding itself is a whole other topic, um, and um, Evans written fairly recently a kind of a vision document about how how he recognizes this current pain point, and in his view, the idea that parts of web apps talking to each other in JSON is a bit of a, a temporary anomaly, and that there are there are known better ways of doing it. We just need to. It's just the future is not evenly distributed at the moment, and for now, JSON is the lingua franca. But he would like to move Elm into a future where the the you know the the JSON that your JavaScript talks and the JSON that your Elm talk are rather than having um, decoders and encoders on either side of that relationship, instead you could declare the data format. And the decoding and encoding with full type safety could be automated. And I'm looking forward to that. The future future is
0: bright for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Though I will put in a plug for JSON decoding. uh, I know that that's a pain point for people who are just coming into the language to try to understand that concept when you're used to just having JavaScript come in and just, you know, assuming it looks how you want it to look already. But I'll say that with the languages that I've gone to outside of Elm to work with, you know, TypeScript or Reason or uh, Scala, I've I've looked back for Elm decoders and and I use them. Like the the decoding library that I use all the time in Reason is is like a, basically a ripoff of not a ripoff, but a, but an inspired, very inspired by Elm's decoding system. Um, mm-hmm. and because it's a, it's, I think it's just a good pattern because
1: uh, it's a design that it, works. Yeah. And for me, the hardest part of it is for a lot of newcomers to Elm, it's the first API that forces you to have to think in terms of, of higher order functions. Yeah. That makes sense. And
0: especially like, uh, <laughs> we don't need to break out the functional terminology ne- necessarily, but like <laughs> it, if you're using the JSON decode pipeline, pattern then you're following you're doing this like applicative uh functor pattern which makes sense if you're coming from something like haskell or places that use those abstractions but if you're just diving in you're like i don't know i'm just typing what they say in the readme. you know (laughs) kind of the thing um -hmm. but it it really is quite an elegant and beautiful thing once it once it makes sense and and that composition yeah the higher order composition is uh can be a a, definitely a new concept but it's just beautiful and um, Scala's Scala's stuff is not inspired by Elm but uh, the way Scala handles JSON is, can be a, a very much like Elm decoders and so this, this is a pattern that I've seen and pursued in multiple other languages as well so I, I'm just going to put a plug there for people who are grumpy about Elm decoders I think that if you give them the time of day you'll end up loving them and reaching for them when, they, when you don't have them in other languages
1: there's a great resource. Uh, it, have I got the title right? The the Elm the JSON Decoder Survival Guide? Something like that? I think that? that's right, yes. Mm. I'll, I'll make sure there's a link in the okay, show Okay,
0: Great, notes. yeah. And we've had the author of that on the show several times too at the very beginning uh, of, of the show. So okay. I think that mostly wrapped up my fixes to what I was saying about ports. And I, I hope that people kind of, start to get it and and that it clicks the the benefits of the of the ports design clicks with them because certainly hmm. it's going to be painful if your problem doesn't look like a port and in that case um i would recommend saying like look at your problem and maybe there's actually a different approach to your problem entirely like using a web component or maybe you're maybe the way that you're trying to solve the problem is generally solved in a different way in elm that kind of thing too
1: if uh, if you 're listening to this and you you yourself have been on an adventure of some kind with ports, whether you tried something and it worked out great or if you tried something and it didn 't work out so well or if you 're still trying to decide which it is i'd love to hear from you. feel free to hit me up on uh the elm slack my My name there is Kevin Yank, or you can find the Elm town twitter, and I think i'm going to get the keys to that really soon yeah, too I think you're right. so feel free to hit me up with a message i'd love to to compare notes and maybe even get you on the podcast to talk about it.
0: Love it. That's a great idea. Well, anything else from me? I think that that's all the soapbox I have to stand on tonight. And, and I'm ready for bed because it's really late.
1: <laughs> Parting is such sweet sorrow. That's baby. right. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make a bold prediction that the Elmtown podcast has not heard the last of your dulcet tones and we'll find an excuse to get you on here before. Too oh, I hope long. that's
0: the case. I'd love to be back on. I'd love to be uh, still around. And I'm always just a message away as well. So people can reach me on Twitter, Sploding Socks, or um, uh, just search Google and I'm sure there's a way you can contact me and I'm
1: glad to respond if, if you need help. Well, this has been a dramatic episode of the Elmtown podcast, but trust me um l- life is good in this town, and uh I-, I I look forward to spending lots of time with you in it uh so thanks again to our guest, Murphy Randall. How strange that I'm the guest, but I'm glad to be the guest too. <laughs> I'm glad to be you know
0: trying to manage my life a little a little more
1: responsibly <laughs> good. Good luck with that, Murphy. I'm sure all the best wishes of our audience go out to you. And uh, yeah, um, get some sleep, my thanks, friend. Thanks, Kevin. And I want to
0: say thanks to everyone who's listened and been so kind to me as well. I was, when I started the podcast, I was worried about the negative backlash because I've got a tender heart. But people have just been kindness, and I really, really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, well, I, I would not have been so quick to say yes if that wasn't the case. <laughs> so um, thank you for me as well as the newcomer. Uh, and thanks to, for Fergus Micklejohn who edits every episode of this podcast. He's made you sound great, Murphy. I hope he can do the same for me. <laughs> well, you sound great without any edits, so I'm sure it'll be easy. Aw, thanks, sex. everybody.